Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, um, we don't take lightly the privilege of getting together with other saints, especially at a time in which um, it looks like uh, some of this is going to be curtailed. Help us not to ever real to think what it is that uh, to get together with other believers is more than just listening to a Bible study. And it is more than praying together. It's the ability to interact, to talk, to, uh, to sit down and, and have uh, good talks and discussions about the things that you're doing in our lives and being able to help people sometimes that come together with needs that uh, maybe are unexpressed. And uh, we just think of our brothers and sisters in Christ here as well as in other places that the needs that they have uh, of being together, that they, you would just give us all discernment exactly as how to let that play out for the benefit of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ at large, not just our assembly here, because uh, the body of Christ is so much bigger than the handful of believers that you have here in this church. And so we think of these believers in many places, and there's a good chance that some of the things that have gone on over the last several months haven't seemed to have such a dramatic impact on us. It's always been someplace else or with other people. But just even as over the last couple of weeks, some of us have known family members uh, that have been dealing with this. We think of uh, Stan's cousin, Vicki, and especially then her husband, Bruce, who is sick and being hospitalized in critical condition because of this. Uh, again, we realize that our lives have been and always are in your hands. And we just ask that that reality is something that you would use to give them peace at this time. You know all the other needs that are present in that situation. But we think of others that are also there, and especially of believers. We, we can't expect the unsaved to have our perspective on your care and your sovereignty with regard to um, our lives. But we can. We can't expect us to be able to have that perspective. And so we think of other believers in different places that we might really be able to appreciate the fact that even before ever a day, ever a day existed, that you already had written down our days. And not just that you've written down the length of our days, but the events. You, you designed how we are put together. And uh, the events that we face in life, these are things that they don't just happen. They're not just happenstance. They're not just a roll of the dice, but they are things that are part of your plan. And your plan is so intricate and so detailed. And it affects each and every one of us. And so we ask for believers that they might have a real comfort in your care, in the fact that you are indeed a God who is good. You are a God who is righteous in everything that you do. And that we might rest then in who you are and your character as it regards our life and the circumstances of our life and the circumstances of our loved ones' lives. In the same way, then, we really ask for mercy for the Jaramillo family in this uh, the time of loss, uh, again, how you minister to that need is challenging. So we just ask for those believers that uh, you put them in contact with, that those believers would exercise tremendous wisdom 
and would speak and do those things that would be glorifying to you and would be merciful to this family. Think of my daughter, Katie, and uh, the baby, and just again, eager to meet this little one, but also um, realizing right now that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, I, I pray that you'll keep Peggy healthy and that she will be able to be able to be allowed to be there as planned to uh, help as Katie's uh, coach along with Aaron. And we just ask uh, for that, for mercy for them in this regard and for a healthy delivery. Uh, and uh, we trust uh, a less exhausting delivery uh, than the previous one. And we're thankful for Stanton's opportunity to interact with the believers that meet uh, in the Spanish-speaking service. And uh, we think of this Justino that he has been able to talk with and that you would just continue to give him wisdom as he interacts with him to know, uh, to be able to discern the things that he needs, things that he needs to hear from your word. And then, of course, then giving Stanton uh, the opportunity, the open door. We're thankful for that, to be able to open your word and share those things with him. Uh, and not just share advice, but as we know, to share your word because that's where your truth lies. Thankful for your word now, and as we open it and look at this Bible study today, that you'd help us to appreciate the things that you have in store for us, that you have planned for us in the future things that you are going to do with regard to yourself and your relationship with us. And we thank you for this then. Amen. And this is not the one I want. <laughs> Got to find the right one here today. So here we go. Did that fill the screen like it's supposed to up there? Yep. Okay. Um, as we are continuing to look at God's promises, we're looking at God's promises for our future. And as we're looking at God's promises for our future, we have looked at the promise to come. We've looked at promises related to our death, things that he has planned for us if we should die, that there are activities in that state of death. We have looked at promises to come back for us. We've looked at those promises for us. We've looked at promises regard to the judgment seat of Christ and what those promises mean for us. Today we want to move beyond the rapture and we want to start moving out into eternity and we want to see that God has promises also that relate to us for things that he's going to demonstrate about himself in the coming age. And uh, I don't know how much of the outline we're going to get through because I really only have a couple verses on here that I want to tackle. And then I'm, I added some verses on the back just last night because I've been something that had been rambling through my head for about two days. And yesterday I actually had time to chase all this down. And I was like, you know what? We need to do this. I, I, I trust it. Let's put it this way. As I was looking through all of these, these passages that we're going to move through, um, yeah. You ever look at the Word of God and you're studying the Word of God and it just really moves you? It really kind of catches you. You're just like, wow, I, God, that is just incredible. And uh, I hope that you catch some of that as we look at these verses today. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go back up to verse we're going to go back up to verse 4. Mine here starts I'm going to actually close this out and I'm going to make this just a hair larger so that's easier to see. Verse 4. It says, "But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us." Yeah. Yes. They still can't find the YouTube feed. Ah, boy, I don't, I don't know what to say. I was also supposed to tell you that Ed's not doing well. The nurse is coming. Ed Cochran. Ed Cochran. Okay. 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 Um, give me a second. Let me take a look at the YouTube feed down here and see if I can figure out what's happening. I don't know why they can't find it. It says we're streaming, so I don't, I don't know what else to say. I wish I could. Um, let me... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Because it, it does say it's streaming, so I, I, like I said, I don't know why it's not. No clue. Let me try something here. Ah, I'm... Uh, kind of got this down and now all of a sudden everything we're going to get thrown in a, in a loop I hope not so let me see if I can let me try something here let me silence that we don't want that and I want uh, <laughs> okay well you know, this is what I. She's on YouTube right now, and it's fine. It is. Okay, okay. Well, I, I, I don't know why people are having problems with it. I, it looks as though it's plain. So, okay. So back to our main point here. I'll have to. I can edit this on. Uh, maybe I can even edit it on YouTube. I don't know. <laughs> Makes no difference. Uh, Ephesians chapter two. Uh, we were looking at the fact, uh, we were reading these verses here, that God was rich in mercy. Mercy is when God takes pity on us because of suffering. And the suffering in the context goes back to verse 5 in verse 1, where he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So we were dead in our trespasses, and he goes and looks at what, what did it look like when we were dead in our trespasses. Uh, the uh, New American Standard here translates it transgression. They do translate it trespasses in verse 1. I don't know why they switched the term down here in verse 5. It is the same Greek word here. But in that state, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you were saved. So he's made us alive. That's one of the things he did to alleviate this problem. And then in verse 6, furthermore, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So three things that he did 
to alleviate the suffering uh, that we had because we were dead in trespasses and sins. He made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us together. And all of that is because we're saved by grace. But that brings us then to verse 7, where he says, so that in the ages that are coming, so not just now, this is good for us because it reminds us that it's not all about just what's happening in the present time. There are ages that are coming out in the future that in the ages that are coming, and it is plural ages, meaning that there is at least two ages in the future, at least two, two coming ages, that he might display the exceeding or over-excelling riches of his grace to us by kindness, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He is going to display the riches of his kindness to us out there in the future. So in some way, he doesn't tell us precisely how he's going to do this, but in some way in the future, he is going to show us and show other creation something about himself. This word ages that he uses here simply means I own. It's an age, or it's a Greek word I own, and it simply means an age. That's fine, but what is the significance of that? And when you look and understand this term in terms of the way the New Testament writers use it, it always looks at a, at a period of time, we would call an age, but it's a period of time during which God is demonstrating something about his character to his creation. That includes us, but it also includes spirit beings. Angels and cherubs are learning something about God's character by things that he is doing, things that he's, he is carrying out, and in this way, things that he's going to do with regard to us. In other words, by actually showing us mercy, by making us alive, by raising us up, by seating us together in the heavenlies, he is demonstrating for the future something that he will continue to demonstrate out there, that he has been his grace has been very rich. We've talked about this, the riches of his grace. And Paul uses this expression, riches, several times in the book of Ephesians. Always really to say very simply that when God exercises grace towards us, he doesn't give us a little bit of grace. He doesn't say, here's some measured grace and use it carefully. Don't use it all up. But to say, I'm abundant with grace. When what, Whatever grace God's extended to us, it's only scratched the surface of how rich his grace is. But then he goes on, he says, it's his grace that is in kindness. And the Greek word kreistates that he uses here for kindness has that idea. It's an attitude or a demeanor that puts others at ease or makes them comfortable or potentially comfortable in your presence. You can be a kind of person that is off-putting. You can be the kind of person that makes others uncomfortable. You can be that person of such dignity and power that when you come before a person, you're like, oh, I don't want to mess up. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, know this about, uh, from what I understand, if you the opportunity to meet the Queen of England. And there are people that they always say, when you, when you meet the Queen of England, you do not walk up and extend your hand to the Queen of England. You wait for her to extend the hand. You don't speak to her until she speaks to you and if she asks you a question or something or says something to you. In other words, there's this, uh, uh, what, this protocol that has to be followed. 
that you the way it's done. And so you'd be there. And I so I always think if I met somebody very dignified like that, what would I do? Because I'm always that person that, you know, uh, stick foot in mouth, you know. And so I'm always afraid that perhaps I would be that person that would that would breach the etiquette, the proper etiquette in a situation like that. But he tells us here that God, and I believe that this is part of the significance of the kindness, that God is going to act, he's going to do something, he's going to act in such a way that it's going to put you and I at ease. He's going to put you and I in a situation where we're comfortable to be in his presence, which to me is incredible, that he would grant that to you and I. Now, just to kind of put this in a couple of different pla different ways to kind of help us understand this. He says right here, back up, just go back up here to verse 6, that he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly. Seated. Now, that's who we are in Christ. I'm really here, but he is crediting me in Christ to be seated in the heavenlies. But let's take a look at, and I don't have this verse up here, so you're going to have to look at it in your Bibles, which is good for you. Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. Now this is something that God the Son grants to us. It says in verse 21, and the one that overcomes. Now, who writes the book of Revelation? Who's penning this? John. John. What's one of the other books that John wrote? First John. First John. Josh knows where I'm going. First John. Because in First John chapter 5, he tells us that an overcomer or a victor is one who has believed in Jesus Christ. There are people that come to these verses, these statements about overcomers, and they're like, that's the superior Christian. That's the Christian that does exactly what God wants. And I would like to know who that person is. Because if I go through the book of Acts, not even the Apostle Paul did everything that the Lord wanted. And not even the Apostle Peter did everything that God wanted. Paul persisted on going to Jerusalem despite the fact that God had believers through the Holy Spirit tell him in multiple cities, don't go. And when Paul arrived in Jerusalem and he was in the temple, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Paul, get out of here. I'm going to send you someplace else. And the Lord goes, no, or the, excuse me, Paul argues and says, no, they'll listen to me. And he says, no, go, get out of here, Paul. Paul argued with the Lord. That's just one example. We could look at others. Peter when he followed Paul and Barnabas back up to Antioch, he did the right thing for a stretch of time, and he began to live by grace, which was expressed by sitting at the table and eating with Gentiles. But the minute some Jews from Jerusalem, from James, came up, believing Jews, Peter then withdrew and caused a number of other Jews to act like hypocrites, Jewish Christians also to act like hypocrites. And Paul had to get up and call him on it and say, Peter, what are you doing? So Peter didn't do everything God wanted. Now John, I don't know. I can't speak to John. We don't have a lot of history on the things that John did. The things that John participated in in all of these things. Um, but at least we think of Paul and Peter. Did they do everything? 
So I don't think that there is such a thing as a believer that did everything. In fact, we know that John sins because John tells us that in 1 John. He says, if we should happen to say that we don't sin, he includes himself. He doesn't just say you guys because he says he knows better than that. So even John, being a very old man in his 90s, knows that he still has a struggle with sin. And so Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, He who overcomes is one who has believed in Jesus Christ, according to 1 John chapter 5. He says, I will give to him to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, if, if when Christ sits on his throne, is the Father going to get up and go someplace else? Is the Father going to get up and move over into another area? You go to the book of Revelation, we actually find out out there, at least in the kingdom, that the Father and the Son are together on the new Jerusalem. And that throne that the Son will sit on, which will not be sitting on the Father's throne anymore, he'll be sitting on his throne, that we are going to be granted to sit with the Son on the Son's throne, which means that we are going to be in the presence of the Father. And I think of that with, an un, with a, a mind that's not yet complete, not yet finished, and all I can think of is knees knocking and stuttering and quaking to be there before the Father, not to mention being there sitting on the throne with the Son. But this is one of the things that he's going to, one of the ways I believe that the Father is going to show the riches of his grace to us by kindness. Is that we are going to be able to sit with the Son on his throne and it's not going to be awkward. It's not going to be a thing that's awkward. Now, we could go and I could look at some of these other things. I think we'll come back and look at some of the rest of these. But I want to go to Ephesians 3. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. And I'm going to kind of take, we're going to jump to the back side of the outline that I, if you took a copy of that today. We're going to jump to the back side of this because I want to look at a statement that he makes here at the end of Ephesians chapter 3 that's related to what he's telling us there in uh, Ephesians 2.7 about God displaying the riches of his grace to us by kindness. And it says in verse, well, we'll just go to verse 21. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, To him be or is glory in the church or by means of the church in Christ Jesus to all the, and we have generations forever. Literally, the Greek is, uh, we have over here, it's the generations of the ages from the ages. In other words, or uh, generation of the age, excuse me, from the ages. But looks at the idea that there's a generating, that ages generate ages. Now, part of the reason why that he says ages generate ages we have to, this, is a, this is a good place to distinguish between an age and a dispensation. 
The present age that we live in, Paul calls it the, the present evil age, and yet it's also called the dispensation of grace and the dispensation that operates in faith or by faith. How can the dispensation of grace and faith be the present evil age? It's because they're two different things. It's because in this present age, kind of as Jim was talking to us in the last hour, God's given to us eternal life. And when you and I use that eternal life, we are to stand out like shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse race. So in this present age, which he calls evil, when you and I live to God's glory, we stand out. We don't have to go out and stand on a street corner and herald the name of Jesus at the top of our lungs and criticize other people or tell people how they should be living just by the way you live. You say something about God's character. Now that it, it will include opportunities to share the good news. It will include opportunities to tell other people that need to know about Jesus Christ who he is. But that's one aspect of an age. But here's another distinction in here. One dispensation does not produce another dispensation. I have at least one book, if not two books on dispensations, in which the writer thinks... That, that what is set in motion as a dispensation then always remains true for the other dispensations. So if we go back to the book of Genesis where we have a dispensation that we sometimes refer to as human government, whether that's the best way to describe it or not, is uh, not we're not going to discuss that right now, but they say from that moment on, human government is always in play as a dispensation, but it's not. Because a dispensation is how God wants you to live your life. It's about how he set the rule for the household. And human government is not the rule for our household. That doesn't mean we don't submit to human government, but that's not the rule for a household. Fast forward to the dispensation of law. Is the dispensation of law still in force for us as a rule for the household? No. Paul makes it abundantly clear. And if you've missed out on those Bible studies when, we're go when we go through that, you need to talk to Josh or I, because Josh did this back a couple of years ago, and it was really interesting. I'd compiled this list of all these things that the Bible says about law, especially with regard to the New Testament. And Josh did this, and he's putting them on the board downstairs, and I thought this was so exciting because I was like, oh my goodness, this is kind of almost the same list I have. And I went through and compared mine and made check marks. It was like, wow, this is, this is what happens if you just do Bible study and you're just going through and looking what the Bible says. The law's not for us in any form today. We're not under law. So a dispensation does not then birth the next dispensation. But an age can and the reason for that is, is once God demonstrates an aspect of his character, God doesn't step back and go, well, that aspect of my character is no longer true. He may not emphasize it as much, but he's only going to add other, demonstrate other aspects of his character that are there in other ages. So this is why he uses this word generation here, that an age can generate another age. And you learn something about God's character, and in the next age, God can add another detail and demonstrate an additional aspect of his character. Doesn't change his character from the first 
from the previous age or ages. It's just adding other details to it. Dispensations don't act like that. That's not the way they function. Remember, a dispensation, very simply, with all the complicated things we do with dispensationalism, it comes down to one thing, really. It's that God has a rule by which a household operates. That is chiefly what a dispensation is. And there's all kinds of other things that we have added and complicated it with, but it chiefly comes down to how does God want us to live. Now, what he tells us here in verse 21, and what I want to look at in the rest of this time, it says, to him is glory. Now, glory is, and we've talked about this before, glory is, it's, it's an expression of a reputation. It's one of these things that I went to seminary and we were taught glory meant an opinion. And it does. If you look it up in, 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 a, in a Greek dictionary, it does say that. But the first definition in almost every Greek dictionary I have is reputation, which the two go hand in hand. Now, with us, it may not. <laughs> I may have an opinion, but my reputation is different. I may have an opinion that I'm a great husband and my wife's lucky to have me, but my actual reputation may be like, you know, sometimes you're a bit of a joker. <laughs> sometimes you're a bit irresponsible. I'm not saying that's always the case, but once in a while, that might be true. So I might have one opinion of who I am, but on the other hand, my reputation might be different. But when God has an opinion on something, it, he, that opinion of who he is or what he's doing and his reputation is always consistent. Right? Do we get that? God always demonstrates his, his reputation is always going to be accurate. It's going to match exactly what he thinks. And says, to, then to him is glory, or this reputation, by means of the church, and probably by means of Christ Jesus. In other words, even Christ Jesus, what he is doing with regard to us in the church, even that is part of how he's showing his reputation. And that goes into all the, all the, the generation of the ages from the ages. Now, one of the things that, that got me thinking is I, uh, I had worked on this outline, you know, Quite some time back, I couldn't tell you how, how many months back it did, and I let these things sit around, and then I pull them up closer to the time we're going to teach on them, and I'm kind of looking. These things have had a chance to ruminate. And one of the things that stood out to me is that this expression down here, uh, uh, in the Greek, ice, and then we have ice, and then here in this case, to ionos, or into the ages, which our English Bibles simply translate forever. And I think there's more to it than just saying it's forever. Because it's really laying emphasis on God demonstrating something about his character. But this expression in the Greek occurs several times in the New Testament. And what I started wondering, thinking about, because some of the certain passages, I had two or three that were running through my mind, I was thinking, those are tied to something God did. And that's tied to something God did. And that's tied to something God did. And so I thought, you know what? I want to walk through all those passages and look at them, and I want to see if they are going to bear out for us God's activity, and here's the point then, that something God's doing right now is going to have repercussions with regard to his character out in the future. So with this, I want us to go through to Romans chapter 11. I've got several of these texts that I want us to look at very quickly. 
I say quickly that in my in my see in my opinion I can do this quickly my reputation may be otherwise Romans chapter 11 now I've been in in uh, the daily Bible studies that I put up on YouTube I've been going through Romans 9 10 and 11 for the past I don't know two weeks three weeks I lose track of, of how long it took to go through all these but the the reason God gives us the reason Paul has, Paul has Paul write Romans 9, 10, and 11 is because at the end of what we know as Romans 8, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Paul anticipates that somebody might say, well, wait a second. What about Israel? Isn't Israel separated from the love of God? And, interestingly enough, through the history of the church, many in the church have thought that God's work with Israel is done. And his work is now really with us. In fact, many of them, many people have even taught that we are the Israel of God, or at the very least that we are the new Israel of God. And in this text here in Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, in, in fact, by the way, if you're in Romans 11, I know I have verse 34, but just glance back up to verse 28 at what he says about Israel. Are they separated from the love of God? Is there a word in verse 28 that would tell you otherwise? Do you see a word in verse 28 that would tell you that they are not separated from the love of God? It says they are, they are loved. Or New American Standard, they are beloved, but they are loved. They're loved ones. They are loved. So they're not separated from the love of God. But this brings Paul as he looks through this. And what ends up happening is we can take God, we can look at God's plan, what God has revealed about his plan, and we sometimes have a tough time trying to make sense out of that plan and trying to figure out how it works. I want us to actually, I'm going to go back up to verse 33 and read. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable or untraceable, unsinkable down there are his ways. In other words, the minute you think you got it figured out, oh, I bet God will do this next, then God says, well, no, this is what I was going to do. And it's not that God's there trying to get out there going, no, no, I wasn't going to do that, faked you out. It's not that. It's just that we really don't fully grasp everything God's doing within his plan and so apart from those things that he's promised us, that I will do this in this situation, apart from that, we don't always know exactly or precisely what God's going to do. And so he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? In other words, I know the mind of the Lord as far as he has revealed it to me in his word. And, but at the second part of this, is, but I, in terms of the larger mind of God, in which we say that he's omniscient, that he not only knows what is, he not only knows what will be, but as Jesus says, he also knows what would have been if something had been changed and gone a different way. And it says, or who became his counselor? Has he ever come to any of you and said, hey, I'd like, some, I'd like an advisor. Would you like to kind of tell me how I... How should I do this? I don't know what to do here. He doesn't ever do that. He's never counseled with me. And he'd never counseled with Isaiah. He'd never counseled with any of these people in the Old Testament. Or first, first, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? In other words, there are a lot of people in Christianity that think that God owes them something because they did something for God. 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. In other words, everything that exists, everything that works, everything that's happening is because ultimately it fits within his plan. It's something that he has planned either to cause to bring about or he has allowed it to, to come about within his plan because it is works to a certain end that he has. And so that he can say at the end of verse 36, to him is glory or reputation into the ages. Amen. In other words, his reputation is demonstrated in the plan that he put together and the plan that he's working out. 2 Corinthians, or no, Romans 16, pardon me, Romans 16. Romans 16, and that's not Romans 16. I've totally got the wrong verse up there. <clears throat> this one actually came up. This is Philippians chapter 4. I must have. Let me see if I've got it right over here. Maybe we got these back. Nope. Let me get the right one here. Just a second, because I want you to see this. Romans 16. And we're going to go down to verse 25. Romans 16 and verse 25. It says, Now to him who is able to establish you, that word establish means to make you stand firm, according to my gospel, even the preaching concerning Jesus Christ. This is preaching Jesus Christ for believers. According to the revelation of a mystery, which has been kept secret from long ages past, but now it is made plainly visible by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, or the, that commandment there is something that he's placed in order, it has been made known to all the nations leading to an obedience of the faith. And I believe the nations here, he's talking about the Gentiles that are part of the body of Christ. And he says, verse 27, to the only wise God. In other words, what you and I think it takes to get a believer stable and what God does to stabilize a believer are two different things. In fact, I would say one of the things, if you go through the book of Romans, that actually causes believers to be stable, and we would say, how in the world does that make a stable believer, is that God, in his plan, has chosen to let us fill in the blank. Anybody? Chosen to let us fail. It's part of Romans 7 is about. That failure on our part as a Christian, in the Christian life, actually in the end, if we appreciate what God's done in those, actually causes stability. Because we end up realizing that it is because of God, not because we perform well. And so it says the only wise God, he's the only one that really is able to take all this knowledge and put it together to create this best plan that is bringing about the stability of believers. And as a result, he gets his reputation as the only wise one into the ages. You and I, when, we re when we're out in their eternity, yes, we're going to be stable out there, but when we look back and we, if we have this opportunity to consider how God brought us to stability in this life, when we are out there in his presence, you and I are going to have a keen appreciation for the wisdom of God, knowing what he has brought us through to bring us to that point. Let's move on to the next one here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he's talking about giving. There's an issue of giving that started in chapter 8, where he asked the, uh, the Corinthians to finish making good on a promise to give to the needs of some other saints. And so in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, 
He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Or literally, he who sows on a blessing will also reap a blessing. Verse 7, each one then must do as he has purposed or decided or chosen in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, if you give to the ministry in your local church or to a missionary or whatever situation you think you need to give to, you better give what you think God wants you to give in regard to that. Don't give because somebody else pressured you, leaned on you, guilted you into giving or giving this much. Each person needs to decide in their own heart. And they are not to be done, it's not to be done under compulsion. But then he goes on in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. See, he looks at this matter of giving as a thing of grace, which back in chapter 8 is exactly what he said. The Macedonians looked at the privilege of sharing and giving to this need as a thing of grace. Christians look at giving because we are pressured into it. We look at it as a thing of duty and a weight. It's like paying your taxes. I got to put that money in that offering plate at that church, or I got to support that missionary. Man, just think what I could do if I could play with that money. <laughs> and so we look at it, it's like it's a tax. But when we look at it properly, we can look at giving as though it's a matter of grace. And he says, God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency, in everything. You may have an abundance from every good work. In other words, that actually can be one of the good works that God's that God actually uh, does through us in, in these matters as he's working this out. And this says, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, and then the last part of this, his righteousness is at ease into the age. And I believe that idea of his righteousness, again, is that there's a right way to give and that righteous giving, when you do it right out of love, it is a righteous act. And it demonstrates, demonstrates something about God's righteousness. Everybody get that? Into the age. Going to look back. You and I, I don't know, are we going to have that privilege briefly for God to be glorified by the fact that the Macedonian believers were very poor and yet out of their poverty they wanted to participate? They weren't pressured to? In fact, Peg tried... Peg. Paul, pardon me, Paul tried to refuse their gift. And yet they begged Paul to take the gift because they wanted to participate in the gift, in the giving, and they said that it was an act of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is talking about all the things that he goes through in his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, and apart from all of these things on the outside, there is then daily then the care, there is daily then the care, and this Bible has the pressure on me here, uh, this sitting here daily thing on me, but it's the care for all the churches. In other words, Paul really cared for the, for the churches. I, I don't know that I can say that I have the care for all the churches, because I don't know all these people, but you know, the churches you get to know, you really do feel for them. But I can relate to this, at least on the small level, that there's not a person that's part of our assembly that's participated, even if sometimes you don't see them very often, 
that I don't have a lot of care for. I mean, sometimes you people wake me up at night. <laughs> and what I mean by that is sometimes God make, wakes me up and there's just, a, there's just a, a heavy, shall we say, care or concern for you. And I don't even know, always know what it is. I don't even know, are, are they going through something right now in this moment? I have no idea. But for some reason, this person's really on my mind and I wake up in the night and pray. That sometimes happens in the middle of the day too. Paul said that. And then he says in verse 29, who, referring to himself, who is weak without being weak? He's looking at this. In other words, hey, you guys are going through weakness. I, I know what it's like to share in that weakness. And those then, he says, <clears throat> going on here, uh, led into sin without my intense concern as he's looking at this. Literally, this led into sin as they're scandalized. They're impeded. Something's gotten in the way of their making progress in their Christian life. And he says, when that happens to me, he says, it actually causes me to burn a little bit when I see other people impeding others' progress. He says, if I have a boast, then I will boast in what pertains to the weakness. Because, and this is what it comes down to in verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying. He's the one that, that testifies this. And he says, he's the one that you can say good things about him out into the ages. And he knows I'm not lying. Paul says, when I tell you I really care about you and that when you guys are going through stuff, I'm going through it with you. Paul says, God knows I'm not lying. And he's the God that you can say good things about him. Not only today, but out into the ages, it's going to remain true that out into the ages, you're going to continue to say good things about him. Because he really does care. And he knows exactly what's going on in each one of us. He knows how we're feeling. He knows how we're caring. He knows how we're engaged with other people. He knows this. Even if other people can't see it or they go, oh yeah, Paul, you tell us that you care, but I don't know. I don't know if you really do care. In fact, these other false teachers in the church, they're saying, no, Paul doesn't really care for you. He's just, he's looking out for himself. Paul goes, no, God knows. God knows I'm not lying. And the God know, that knows I'm not lying is the God that you can say good things about him out into the ages. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Paul is in Philippians 4, and we're going to go to verse 19, but in the verses preceding this, he's just talked about the fact that the Philippians have sent a gift to him, and he says, I've received this gift. And he says, that gift, it filled up my needs, and it was a, it was a sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. But then in verse 19, he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So when my pantry is getting a little thin and I don't have any way to buy new stuff to put in there, I know this verse, God's going to take care of. No, that's not what he's talking about. I know we want to use this verse that way. But this verse, he says, he, he supplies those needs according to his riches that are in glory or in his reputation and they're supplied in Christ Jesus. The need they had wasn't physical, although they did have physical needs. The Philippians are part of the Macedonians. These are part of these poor believers that Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians. Where was their need going to be met? In Christ, which means it's a spiritual need. It's a spiritual need because as we've gone over Philippians before, it's a need for these believers to get along and work together. Paul lays emphasis in this letter about believers learning to work together. And for whatever reason, feelings have gotten hurt and you've got some believers that don't want to work together anymore. 
But he says, he's going to do that. And he's going to do it according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which leads him to verse 20. Now to our God and Father is glory or that reputation in to the ages from the ages. In other words, God's got the reputation of being the one that can supply from the riches of his grace, the riches of his glory, what you need to address that need. Out there in the future, is there going to be a time that the Philippian believers have learned to get along and work together, that that's going to be something, a testimony to God's reputation out there in the future? I think so. This is part of what he's going to do. If you're not catching that on each one of these, Paul's not just attaching this statement about God's righteousness is forever or into the ages. And God's glory or his reputation is out into the ages. What he's saying is what God's doing right now with the Philippians, with the Corinthians, with regard to Paul himself, with the Romans, God's work in each one of these is something that, that actually has repercussions on God demonstrating his character, his reputation, out there into those ages. First Timothy. I left blanks on your worksheet here because I didn't know if you might want to fill your name in there instead of Paul. <laughs> but Paul says, yet it is for this reason that I found mercy so that in me... Uh, oh, just a second. I got to make sure I got to back this up here. Verse 16, I don't know. Oh, it is verse 16. Okay, I did get it. Yet it is for this reason, then, that I, uh, that I found mercy, so that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect long-suffering or patience as an example for those who were about to believe into him for eternal life. Now to him, now to, excuse me, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever, amen. And I didn't give you all the verses on this. We need to back up. Because I, I kept thinking that didn't sound right. Verse 15 is where we want to go back. It is a trustworthy statement and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. That's why I left that blank. Of whom, because I probably would say, of whom I am foremost. Not Paul. I don't really want to fight with Paul, but you get the point. I think probably most of us would look at this and say, Paul, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm the one that's there. But he says when he looks at that and sees that God was merciful with him in that, he says he looks at there as the one, the, the king, <clears throat> the king of the ages, the incorruptible one, the invisible one, the only God, is honor and glory into the ages. Honor is the value that you place on him. How much do you value God? And then his reputation. The reputation that he's a God that came down here and saved sinners, even the worst of sinners, as Paul saw himself, the foremost of sinners. That's kind of his reputation in terms of who God is. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. He's talking about God doing a work. Back in the context, he says the God of peace. So you see in verse 20, and it says that he might equip or adjust you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Just stop there. That's talking about the fact that he equips you with everything you need to serve in the body of Christ, which in the context of Hebrews, if these believers quit assembling because it is just too hard to assemble and they just want to just go to temple, 
and not assemble with believers anymore? If that's the case here in this, then they're not going to be able to be ministering those gifts to one another when they're together. And he says, the God that equips you to do those things and you do those works that are well-pleasing. Have you ever stopped to think about that? God's given you a gift to minister to other saints. And so he goes on here at the end of this and he says, to whom is glory or this reputation at the end of this into the ages? And some Greek texts have the ages from the ages. Uh, it's added there. But one way or another, it's into the ages. He's going to get the reputation that he's the one that did a work. We're not going to get out there and go, hey, you guys all you want to hear some great story stuff I did when I was down there on earth? It's going to be, what, what, what's one of the first things we do with those crowns when we're around the throne? We take them, we throw them back at his feet because you say, you're the one that's worthy. If there was anything that I ever did that was worthy of being rewarded, it was really because of you, because you're the one that gave me the gift and you're the one that adjusted me and you're the one that accomplished this in me. So him, to God, he gets this reputation out into the future. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. He just got done talking about dealing with Satan, but then he says in verse 10, as each one then is received, oh, excuse me, no, 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 I'm, I'm looking at the spiritual gifts, I almost forgot where I was, because it also is in verse 10. Anyway, as each one has received then a gift, use it or minister it in serving one another as good managers of the manifold grace of God. If you speak, he says here, whoever speaks, it is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God, the little words. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs or to whom is glory or this reputation. And we have this word dominion. It's might. It's a manifestation of strength. And I believe the reason he uses kratos here, a manifestation of strength, is because when you use your gift, whether it's a speaking gift or a serving gift, if you do it as God wants you to do it, it always demonstrates God's strength and God's reputation is seen when you serve the way God wants you to serve. And that goes out into the ages. 1 Peter chapter 5, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and he uses several words here, he will adjust you, he will cause you to stand firm, he will make you strong, and he will set you on a firm foundation. In other words, these believers are going through some suffering and it's causing them and their souls to struggle here. And so in 1 Peter 5.11, he says, to him is might, or the, a, manifest, a manifestation of, of his strength into the ages, amen. In other words, God, again, much like Romans 16, God's stabilizing Christians, making us stable even when we go through suffering, as he's saying here. That's something where God actually shows his reputation, that he can make us stable even going through something negative like suffering. And Jude 24. Steal Jim's thunder. <laughs> as Jim's working, been working up to this verse. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. It's not just to keep you from stumbling, but also able to make you stand in his presence, blameless 
And we have this with great joy. I actually looked this up. Uh, Alexander Souter has a little Greek dictionary, and I looked this word up in there. I'd never looked this word up before. He actually uh, translated it, and I have to. I wrote it down here, ecstatic delight. I've always wanted, because most of your Bibles attach it to the word joy, but it's a distinct word from joy. And I've always tried to figure out a good way to explain it. I like that, ecstatic delight. There's going to be, you're going to be blameless and ecstatic delight. That tells you maybe something about the way you are going to be when you're standing blameless before him in the future. Just think how you would ex ex describe yourself with ecstatic delight. I have a daughter that when she was quite young, when she would get really excited about things, she would just vibrate. She would just, Peg and I still remember that. She'd just get so excited. she just would like, <sighs> and I have a granddaughter now that when she gets excited, she, she's doing this all the time. <laughs> you just tell, she just, she just can't hold still. She's just bouncing and bouncing. Ecstatic delight. I don't know exactly what that ecstatic delight is going to look like for us in that situation. But that is then, he says, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, is this reputation. His reputation is the God that can do this in us, that can make us stand in this way, that can cause us to be blameless. So there's a reputation. There's greatness. There's a demonstration of his strength. And there is this authority where he exercises this authority, even in the context where you have these false teachers that are coming along saying, oh, real grace means you could do anything you want. It's okay. God won't care. And some believers get sucked into that. As Jim was going over with us today, there's some believers that listen to that and they go, yep, that's true. And then there's other believers going, Really? Is that true? And they're vacillating. They're kind of back and forth. Can, can I do that all by grace? Or is it grace the way I was? I don't know. So you get believers, and then you get believers going, no, that's not grace. <laughs> that's not grace. So you get really kind of, as Jim was pointing out, you get three classes of believers that, that are affected by that teaching in one way or another. And yet, he's going to exercise authority. And he's going to get this done. And he does that before all, before all of the ages, and now, and into all of the ages. So in other words, he's always exercised authority. He's always able to accomplish his purpose. If you go back into all the ages past, you look at what's going on in the present age, and you look into all the ages that are yet to come, he has always been able to demonstrate his character no matter what seems to be going on in this world or even before the world existed, because the ages aren't just during the time that this world has been in existence, because he created spirit beings before this world existed, and there were things that they learned about him in the past. But if you understand that here, he's demonstrating something about his character. I don't know. I probably, let's just put it this way. I, I can maybe tell, maybe we're a little sleepy this morning. Maybe that's some of it. I'm not for sure. I can't make other people feel something the way I feel. All I could say is, I, I would go home and I, if I were you, I would read through all these verses again. Because I tell you, as I was going through all these and looking at these, I was just overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, all these situations with believers that need to be stable, believers that need to be able to know that Paul really cares and he's not lying, and believers that need to learn how to work together, and all of these different things, all these different scenarios, and all of them, God is at work. And that work that he's doing 
is not just about the present, but it's going to have implications with regard to his reputation even out there into the future. So that as we saw at the very beginning, back over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show or put on display the surpassing riches of his grace to us in Christ Jesus in kindness. He has been abundantly kind. Now that's one thing. That's not the entirety of all of this. But this idea that he's, he's demonstrating the surpassing riches of his grace out there in future ages. It's a reminder that there's a lot of things out there in future ages that you and I are going to be involved in. God's work with us does not end at the rapture. And it's not just at the beginning of the rapture. Well, I got to sit on his throne with him. That's a big deal. But it's also the fact that out into the coming ages, there's going to be things about his work with us that are going to say something about his reputation and his character. And we don't know all those things. But we gave you a pretty good list just by looking at those connected with his character out into coming ages. There's other ways we could look at this too, but this hopefully makes you more eager for the future to say, wow, if this is what God could do with us, just what's going on now, could you imagine what it's like when we're on the other side and all of this, this part of this life is done, this part of life where we're struggling and we're trying to make decisions like this now, and that's over. I hope that this is helpful. I hope this is encouraging for you to look at your life and the part that it plays in what God is doing in a larger plan with all of the body of Christ and with angels learning things about his character. Father, we're thankful for the time you've given us together. We're thankful for the fact that you are a God who is indeed worthy. You are the God who will show your, your, your nature, your reputation will be on display in many ways. All the things that we think we know about you right now we're still probably just scratching the surface of all that is absolutely really true about your wonderful, infinite character. And we've got eternity out there in coming ages to learn even more and more about you. And yet in the present time, you are doing things with us now, have done things with us, that will actually have repercussions in a very good way with regard to your character out into the future. We thank you for this. Again, we think of those that have not been able to be with us today. We ask that you might encourage them wherever they are. You know the needs that they have. We want to remember especially Jeff and Terry as they're uh, helping with his dad right now and trying to get him the care that he needs. And we just want to continue to remember them and for your mercy uh, for their family. Thank you for this time together then. Amen.